What is a health sharing plan and how is that different from health insurance? Should I get a health sharing plan? And if so, are there any potential downsides that I should be aware of? We'll answer these questions and more on today's episode of the Financial Pathway Podcast. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We've got an interesting topic today. We're talking about health sharing plans, and this is something that has really grown in popularity over these last few years. So we're going to talk about what is a health sharing plan and is it an appropriate option for health care coverage? Now, let's understand, first of all, that health care coverage is one of the biggest expenses for the average American family. Uh, the average 40-year-old pays about $5,000 a year in total health care costs. So it's a significant part of most families' budgets. And it's also one of the most important services that you can receive because it has the potential to be extremely costly in a worst-case scenario. So your choice to get or not to get health care coverage is very important and we want to be aware of all the options available to us. So in this episode, we're, we're talking specifically about health sharing plans and whether or not they're an appropriate option. Please note that health sharing plans are not insurance. And I repeat, they are not insurance. It's not the same thing. There are some key differences. And so we'll break down those key differences towards the end of the episode. But these health sharing plans, you may have heard of them before. Certain names like Christian Healthcare, MediShare, Samaritan Ministries, Liberty HealthShare, and many others. A lot of these plans have been around for a while, but they exploded in popularity a few years ago. So here's the brief history on all of that. In 2010, the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, was passed into law. And this really radically reshaped the healthcare landscape because it included some very important provisions. Uh, first of all, the individual mandate and the business mandate. The business mandate stipulated that if you're a business that has 50 or more full-time employees, you must provide health insurance to your workers. And then the individual mandate stipulated that everybody, all Americans, were required to have health care coverage. So... All of a sudden now, millions of Americans who previously did not have health insurance are going to have it either through their job or individually they're going to get their own plan. And if they don't, then they're going to have to pay a penalty to the IRS. The other important provision of the Affordable Care Act was that it abolished the pre-existing conditions clause. You see, before that, if you applied for insurance from an insurance company, and you had some pre-existing condition, they were most likely going to deny you coverage or your rates were going to be so high that they were basically unaffordable. And it makes sense from a business standpoint. The insurance company is a for-profit business. It doesn't make sense for them to be willingly taking on people who they know are going to cost their company way more than they will ever pay into it. So the idea behind the Affordable Care Act was because insurance companies were now going to have to accept people with pre-existing conditions and those costs were going to rise for the insurance companies, 
they would also be receiving millions of healthy Americans who now had to buy insurance, and that extra money in premiums would help uh, would help offset the extra cost to the insurance companies. At least that was the idea. But the individual mandate left a lot of Americans in a very difficult situation. Uh, they now had to get health insurance, and if they didn't have it available to them through their job, now they had to get coverage or they're going to pay a penalty, and a lot of times coverage was very expensive. So it was ruled in all of this that membership in a health sharing plan would satisfy the individual mandate. So as you, if you had a health sharing plan, that would count towards the individual mandate. You would not have to pay a penalty to the IRS. And because health sharing plans in many cases were a cheaper alternative to traditional insurance, this is why it really exploded in popularity. And probably it might have been the first time you heard of health sharing plans was very very shortly after the Affordable Care Act was passed. The other thing about health sharing plans is most of them are Christian organizations. So not only was it an alternative for a lot of Christians in that it lowered their cost for health care coverage, but it was also an organization that more closely reflected their values. So let's talk briefly about traditional health insurance, the various options that most Americans have to get health insurance. And then once we understand a little bit about traditional health insurance, then we can compare and contrast that to a health sharing plan. Now, it also is important to point out that the individual mandate has effectively been done away with since 2010. Uh, In 2018, I believe it was, the penalty for not having health care coverage was moved to zero. So you don't have to get health care coverage if you don't want to. You're not going to pay a penalty anymore. But for the same reasons that it's a smart choice to have auto or home insurance for a worst case scenario, I would encourage you to find a reasonably priced option to have health insurance for those same reasons. So here are the four main avenues for most Americans uh, for them to receive traditional health insurance. First of all, and this is the main one, through your employer or through your spouse's employer. It's the primary option for most Americans. Group plans make insurance very accessible and cost-effective. So if you're eligible for insurance through your job, then you would be hard-pressed to find a better alternative. Uh, And it's very likely that a health-sharing plan is not going to beat whatever you have available to you through your job. Uh, And remember, because of the business mandate, which is still in effect, businesses with 50 or more full-time employees are going to offer insurance to their employees, and a lot of businesses that are smaller are going to do so anyway. So that's the first place that most Americans get their health insurance is through their employer. But that may not always be the case, and so let's understand the other avenues. So secondly, if you don't have insurance available to you through a job or through your spouse's job, the next option would be uh, Medicaid or CHIP. If your income falls below certain thresholds set by the state and federal governments, you may be eligible for Medicaid or for CHIP. These are federal programs that are administered on the state level. They provide insurance for low-income Americans. So again, if you don't have insurance available to you through your job, and your income falls below certain thresholds, you can get Medicaid or CHIP, and these would provide you health insurance at little to no cost. The third option would be if your income is above those thresholds for Medicaid or for CHIP, then you can be eligible to buy an individual plan. 
either directly through the insurance company or through the healthcare marketplace. And if your income falls within a certain window, you can use the healthcare marketplace, and that would be healthcare.gov is the site that connects you to your state's uh, insurance marketplace and allows you to shop and compare different networks, different providers, different uh, levels of plans. If your income's within that certain threshold above the Medicaid and CHIP limits, but not too high, you could be eligible for a federal tax credit, which is going to help you to offset the cost of your monthly premiums. And typically what's going to happen is you can apply for coverage for the following year during open enrollment, which is typically starts in November of the preceding year, unless you have some special event that qualifies you for an enrollment period. If you have a, a birth in the family, a marriage, uh, loss of insurance through your job, there's several different things that can qualify you for a special enrollment period. But basically the strength of either of buying insurance through the marketplace is number one, if your income falls within that window, you're going to get your tax credit, but also uh, it does allow you to shop around different networks, different providers, different levels of care so that you can choose the plan that makes most sense and fits your needs the best. But of course there is always the option of buying directly from the insurance company. And that's typically for those that are not going to get a tax credit. They can just go to the provider that they want to and buy an insurance plan directly. And then the last avenue, uh, most common avenue for Americans to get health insurance is through Medicare. Uh, so Medicaid is for low-income Americans. Medicare is primarily for uh, those age 65 and older. Now included in Medicare are uh, some Americans that have certain disabilities, but it is, again, primarily for those 65 and older. There's over 60 million people in America today that receive Medicare coverage. So these are the main avenues for most Americans to get their traditional health insurance. And so if you have health insurance today, it's probably through one of those four ways that I just mentioned. So let's briefly talk about some important features to understand about your health insurance coverage. If you want to understand how health insurance can compare to health sharing plans, you need to understand some of these basic concepts about how insurance works. The first one is your network. If you're going to get cable TV, you want to know what channels you'll have access to, obviously. If you're going to get insurance, you want to know what your network is. This would be what providers are available to you. Do you coordinate care with your primary care physician or through some other route? Do you have access to certain doctors, to certain facilities? Your network encompasses who you'll have access to under your insurance plan. And so that's an important consideration when choosing a plan is your network. Uh, the next thing would be your monthly premium. Uh, your premium is what you pay each month regardless of whether you receive care or not. It's the monthly amount to have that plan. So think of a gym membership or your Netflix membership. You're going to pay the same every month no matter whether you use it a lot or not at all that month. It's just the cost of having the plan in place and that stays static at least for the term for that year that you have insurance and the next year it may change. The next uh, feature is your deductible. This would be how much you pay before your insurance kicks in. This is an amount that resets each year. And so if your deductible is, say, $2,000, that means if you get a medical bill, the first $2,000 are on you. You have to pay that amount before the insurance company will pay anything on your behalf. 
So just understand when you're comparing insurance plans, typically the plans that have the lowest premiums have the highest deductibles. So you may see a, a plan that has a cheap monthly amount and think, well, I should go with that one. That's the cheapest plan. However, if it's a very high deductible, that's going to put you in a difficult situation if you do need care because you're going to be responsible for a significant amount before the insurance company is going to pay a dollar on your behalf. So just understand the relationship between premium and deductible. Everybody's different. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, but typically a lower monthly premium means a higher deductible. The next feature would be a copay. Not all insurance plans have this, but many do. This is a predetermined amount that you will pay for the type of care you receive. So, for example, typically a copay may look something like this. Uh, $35 for every doctor's visit. $75 to visit a specialist. $500 for a trip to the emergency room. This is a set amount that you will pay if you need this specific type of care or a specific type of visit. And really what copays are designed mainly to do is to, is to ensure that Patients are only going to utilize those services when they need to. They're not going to be going to the doctor every time they get the sniffles. They're not going to be going to the emergency room every time they get a scratch. Because they do have to pay a copay, it ensures that they're only going to go when they really need to go. Uh, the next feature would be coinsurance. Again, not all plans have coinsurance, but if they do, it's important that you understand how this operates. Coinsurance is the percentage of the medical charge you would pay after your deductible is met. So let me give you a hypothetical example. Let's say you get a medical bill for $12,000. Your deductible is $2,000. So the first $2,000 are on you. You pay that. Now you have $10,000 left. And let's say your coinsurance is 20%, meaning you would pay 20% of the remaining bill. Insurance company covers the other 80%. So of that $10,000 left over, you pay 20%. That's another $2,000. They pay the remainder, which is $8,000. So in total of that $12,000 bill, you're going to be responsible for $4,000. So again, not all plans have coinsurance, but if they do, it's important that you understand that how that works because after the deductible is paid, you're still going to be owing a certain amount. And then the last feature that's very important to take note of when comparing plans is is your out-of-pocket maximum. This is the most you would have to pay in any one year before your insurance company is going to pay 100% of the bill. So think a worst-case scenario, a really high bill. This is where the insurance company says, we're going to cap you at this amount. Once you've paid this out-of-pocket maximum, we're going to cover the rest. And this amount will reset every year. So if you hit your out-of-pocket maximum that year, then for the rest of the year, you're good. And then next year, it's going to reset and go back to zero. So now that we've talked about some important features of health insurance and where most Americans get their health insurance from, now let's compare that to health sharing plans. And again, I, it's important to stress health sharing plans are not insurance. They do operate very similar to insurance, but as we're going to see here in a moment, there are some very key differences. Now, uh, let's compare the features of a health insurance plan to a health, a health insurance plan to a health sharing plan and see how they stack up. First of all, the network. Health sharing plans typically do not have network requirements. 
which is nice because that allows you to go to the doctor or the facility that you want to go to. And typically what's going to happen is you're going to present your uh, member card of that health sharing plan, similar to an insurance card, and your health sharing plan is going to negotiate directly with your medical provider. Now, in some cases, those medical providers don't take those health sharing plans. They don't accept those membership cards. Uh, most health sharing plans will still allow you to get care from those providers as a cash paying patient, and then they will reimburse you for that cost. A little bit of a hassle, but it's still going to cover that care. Uh, just going to have to go through it a, a little bit of a different route. Uh, premiums. So they don't call them premiums. You're not technically paying a premium. Instead, they're going to call it something like a share amount, but it effectively is the same thing where with a health sharing plan, you pay a certain amount every month for your level of care, regardless of whether you get care or not that month. That's just your monthly amount to keep the plan in place. Similarly, uh, instead of a deductible, you're going to have a quote-unquote personal responsibility amount. So the idea remains the same. If you have a medical bill, if you need medical care, the first $1,000, $2,000, $5,000, whatever the personal responsibility amount is for that plan, you have to pay that before the health sharing plan will kick in and help cover any of those costs. And again, the deductible is put in place to really help protect the members of the plan in general, because if you have a deductible and you're going to have to pay at least a, 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 some amount uh, initially for care, you're going to make sure that you only go to a medical provider, you only go to a medical facility when you really do need the care. Uh, co-pays, some health sharing plans do have co-pays. They would operate basically the same a uh, certain amount to go to the doctor, a certain amount to go to the emergency room. That's just a preset amount. That would be the same. Coinsurance. Uh, some health sharing plans may have coinsurance. Uh, the ones that I have looked at thus far, I have not seen any that do have coinsurance, however. So at this point, you may feel like, well, between health insurance plans, health sharing plans, they sound very similar. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between the two of them. And I will say this, as far as your experience as a patient at your doctor, your hospital, paying your bill, yet your experience probably wouldn't be all that much different going with health insurance plan versus a health sharing plan. But it should not just come down to cost. Cost, of course, is a very important consideration, but there are some key differences with health sharing plans. Because they are not insurance, there are some unique advantages, but also some disadvantages. You definitely need to be aware of these before you sign on to a health sharing plan. The first difference I want you to be aware of, and this is a big difference between health sharing plans and health insurance, is that with many health sharing plans, they actually have a cap on how much they will cover per incident. And these amounts can range somewhere between 125,000 up to a million dollars. But just understand what they're saying is, if you need to go to the hospital, if you need care, with this plan, there's a limit to how much we're going to pay on your behalf before you're on your own again. And the whole point of having healthcare coverage is to protect you in a worst case scenario. It's not very likely that you're going to have to run up a medical bill that exceeds $125,000 or even a million dollars, but it is possible. And of course, for somebody who's in that situation, that's a very difficult thing. That's going to put you in a very tough uh, uh, position 
to have exceeded what your health sharing plan will pay and now the rest of it is your responsibility. So you should definitely be aware of how that plan works and if there is a cap and if so, you're okay with that being the reality of, of your coverage limit. Another thing to be aware of with health sharing plans is that they are mostly Christian organizations and as such, they do ask that the members of their plan also be Christians and share same values and worldviews. So part of your application process may be that you attest to a basic statement of faith. They're going to specifically outline that they're not going to treat coverage uh, for things related to smoking, to alcohol or drug abuse, abortion, these types of things that would be antithetical to the Christian faith. And so as long as you understand that going into the plan, that's not going to be an issue if that's how you already live your life and those are the values you already believe in. But for those who may not understand that, that could be, of course, a big issue if they're expecting that it's going to operate just like regular insurance because it doesn't. Also, because health sharing plans are not insurance, pre-existing conditions are not guaranteed to get coverage. Remember, with insurance now, if you have a pre-existing condition, the insurance company can't deny you. But with health sharing plans, they're not insurance, so they can deny you. Now, they still do take a lot of people that have pre-existing conditions, but the process may be different, might be a little bit tougher. And so just something to be aware of. If you have pre-existing conditions, you may not be able to get a health sharing plan. Also, because it's not insurance, there's not the same type of regulatory oversight. And what I mean by that is if you have a claim or a complaint about whether or not you got coverage or some aspect of the health sharing plan, that's going to be handled through the plan's appeal process. And if that process leaves you with a result that you did not want or, or a claim that's been denied, you don't have much recourse because there's not a regulatory body like there would be with insurance that you could appeal to. You're really at the mercy of that organization and the decisions that they make. So you, you, you're kind of leaving yourself in their hands, so to speak, with whatever decisions they make. And then the last thing I would point out as a downside, this is an important one. If you have a health sharing plan, you're not eligible to contribute to a health savings account. Health savings accounts, HSAs, are wonderful vehicles to save for future medical needs. I will do a future episode all about HSAs, and I think everybody needs to understand how they operate because they can be really, really helpful. But you cannot use an HSA. You can't put money into an HSA unless you have a high deductible insurance plan. So going with a health sharing plan does uh, take that off the table. So that is a disadvantage. Now, on the flip side, of course, there are some definite advantages with a health sharing plan. One of the biggest is that with a health sharing plan, you are in this community of fellow believers and you are paying your monthly share amounts and you know that money is going directly to other believers to help them with their medical costs. And if something happens to you, other believers are going to be helping your costs. And so that sense of camaraderie and that community of fellow believers pooling together to help each other out is very powerful and it's a great thing. And so that's that's a really big positive to know that, man, it's it's other, you know, fellow Christians helping each other out in that way. The other things that are big advantages is flexibility. 
you have more flexibility with your access to doctors, to the facilities, because most health sharing net, uh, plans don't have a network. Also, flexibility in the length of your coverage. Typically, with an insurance plan, you're, you're signing up for a 12-month term. Most health sharing plans don't operate that way, so it allows you to jump in, jump out when you need to, and that makes it a lot easier. And then, of course, finally, in uh, some cases, it's a cheaper alternative. You can get a health sharing plan for uh, less than you'd be able to get a comparable health insurance plan. Your decision about what type of healthcare coverage to get is an important one. And I hope that some of the information that I've given you on today's episode has been helpful and made your options more clear. I would say that for most Americans, they are going to be best served by a health insurance plan through one of those four avenues that we talked about. However, for some people, for some families, they're going to be best served by a health sharing plan. Everybody's situation is different. Everybody's needs are different. I just want to make sure that you're aware that health sharing plans are out there, what they're like, how they operate, and understand the advantages and disadvantages before you decide to go that route. Now, if you ever have questions for me, shoot me an email, info at nateskelly.com, or you can always reach me on Facebook at the Financial Pathway page. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks again so much for listening in. Hope you have a great day, and I will see you on the next episode.